0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As this morning we pick it up in a place where Paul has been sharing about suffering and even the possibility of dying. You know, it sounds bad, but we'll see in our study today that that's actually okay for the Christian because, you know, when we pass from this life to the next, we're going to get new bodies. There'll be no more problems or pain, no more sickness or suffering. You know, when we go through heaven's door, we'll be home, finally home forever. You know i don't know if you guys realize this or not you know because there's different ways to describe those who don't know the lord one way to describe them is just that they're lost you ever think about that that all the people in the world that we live in are lost and what god wants to do through our lives is to is to find them and lead them home you see that's what heaven is and that's what death is really for the christian you know, one day we'll be home in heaven forever and ever. And that's a really good thing. Now, I read a story about a little girl. She was a city girl who was in the country for the first time. And she saw the big blue sky without the smog. And later that night, she saw the sparkling stars above And when she saw all this, she turned to her mom and she said, Oh, mommy, if heaven is so beautiful on the wrong side, what must it be like on the right side? You know, that little girl was on to something. That's why Warren Wiersbe said that heaven is not just a a destination, it's a motivation. It's an inspiration. We should be thinking about our home in heaven, I think, a lot more than we actually do. It's a a great place. That's why C.H. Spurgeon said, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. I don't know if you guys ever think about it or speak about it, but I pray that you as Christians would do that because we are the few that are on the narrow road. We are so blessed to be on this road that leads to heaven. We know this. Right? Because look what we read in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Point number one, if you're taking notes, heaven knowing about it. We know this, you guys. Uh, Paul doesn't write, we think, these things or we hope these things no he says we know these things and that's why it's so good to know the Bible for then we know the truth about these things even though we're getting older and these bodies will eventually begin to break down even to the point of death perhaps no worries no worries for the Christian we will get new bodies when we're home in heaven one day now isn't it interesting to read how God through Paul describes our current bodies as an earthly house notice he says that in verse 1 for we know that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed i like the way he describes it right it's our it's a house it's a tent it's a house that houses our soul and if you're a christian not only are is your soul living in your house your spirit is living in your house and god's spirit is living in your house it houses our soul and our spirit and God's spirit living within. But but the point here, I think, is our current bodies, he says, are earthly. You no, know, they're just tents. And the thing about tents is that they're intended to be temporary. You know, it's interesting here, the Greek word translated destroyed is the very same word used to describe someone taking down a tent. How many of you here, you like to go camping? Out of curiosity, do you guys like to do that? How many of you are going camping on our trip that's coming up? That's going to be cool. I think there's like a hundred people that are going. And uh, you know how it is, right? After your camping days are over, you know, you take down the tent. What does that mean? It means you're going home. You know, that's how it is for us in, in life. You know, I like camping. I love it, to be honest with you. I like to just get away, and my cell phone doesn't work, and you get to spend time with the Lord. And, you know, you're super excited usually when you first get there. But after a few days, especially if you're roughing it, you're like, hey, I think I'm ready for a hot shower, you know. I I think I'm ready for the anemones that we have at home. In one sense, that's kind of how it is for us in life, you know. God says, You're going home to the place that you really live, the building that you belong in. And here Paul describes that as a building, he says, from God, a house not made with hands. And that means that it's permanent. It's not just temporary or for a long time. Our new bodies will be eternal in the heavens. You know, it's kind of cool to even read that our new bodies prepared for us are prepared for us by Jesus himself. Uh, They're even described as mansions in John 14. You remember what Jesus said in verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. You see, right now we live in these earthly houses, we live in these tents, but one day we're going to have a mansion, that dwelling place that Jesus himself will make for us. He's our architect, He's the builder. And I just look forward to that. I don't know if you guys ever think about that, but man, it's amazing to imagine. You know, yesterday I began reading a book, it's called A Visitor's Guide to Hell. And it's a heavy book about hell, to be honest with you. But but the author, Dr. Clint Archer, has one chapter on heaven. And, and he describes heaven as better, beautiful, and busy. And he goes on to elaborate on the three. But about it being better, he said this, Heaven is better not merely better than hell, not simply better than earth, but better than anything anyone has ever imagined and better than anything else than anywhere else in the universe. See, that's heaven. It's going to be so amazing. You know, which kind of leads us to our second point. Notice there in verse 2, Paul says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, notice, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So point number one, heaven, knowing about it. Point number two is heaven groaning for it. Do you guys ever groan for heaven? You know, I think Paul here kind of tells us that we should, if we're healthy Christians, we should be groaning for heaven. You know, life has this way of going full circle, doesn't it? You know, when the children are born, they're so beautiful, they're so small. We see them maybe a month or a year later and we say to them, My, how you've grown." Right? But then, as we get older and older, and one day we're old, our children, our spouse, they don't just see us, they hear us making noises, the aches and pains, and they say, My, how you groan, you know? (laughs) And that just happens on the aches and pains of life. Uh, Paul mentions two times here that in these bodies we groan for new bodies. Notice again there in verse 2 For in this we groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. There in verse four, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. You know that's the way it is, and it's not just because we're breaking down. Although that's part of it, uh, it's also because we're looking up. You guys, we are looking forward to heaven. We should be. You know, Paul here at this point changes the illustration from new buildings to, to new clothing. He says, earnestly desiring, you know, a clean change of everlasting clothes to inhabit the body without sin, without suffering, without sickness, without disease, without decay, without death, without the devil. That's what we groan for. You know, these clothes that we have, they're all worn out, so to speak. Paul doesn't just want to get rid of his current clothes. Paul says in verse 3, we don't want our souls to be naked. It's not just about being naked out and getting rid of these bodies, you know, that would be like being homeless. No, we want to be further clothed. know, the reason he said this is an interesting concept, because in Greek thought, uh, the philosophers thought that a bodiless spirit was the highest level of existence. They thought of the body as a prison for the soul and saw no advantage in being resurrected in another body. You know, you guys have probably heard and you've seen those movies maybe where they have these disembodied spirits and some you know, people maybe think that that's the way it is, but that's not the way it is. You know, when, when we die, when we move on, when we pass on, when we move out of these bodies, we're going to get glorious bodies. And that's what he's saying here. Paul says, no, we're not going to be spiritless bodies. We're not going to be found naked. We're going to get new clothes Clothes that will never wear out. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, I don't know about you, but I like getting new clothes. You guys like that? Every once in a while, I huh? like a. I think I need a new shirt. I've had this one for 27 years. <laughs> you know, or, or you get some new pants. Hey, I lost some weight. Hey, this is exciting. You know, and uh, you throw, get some new pants. I trip out on my jeans, uh, to be honest with you. I trip out on like, you know, I have like four pairs and just it doesn't take long, but eventually they get holes in the knees. I'm like, how does this happen? And Lord, is it because I'm praying a lot? Is that why? And then one day I found out I was putting my jeans on and I kicked my leg in there and then boom, (laughs) it made a hole in the pants. I'm like, that's why I get holes in my jeans, because I kick my foot in there. I don't know. Maybe they make it on purpose because, you know, I don't know how it is now. Maybe some of the younger people can tell me. But is it, is it trendy to have holes there? Oh, okay. So that's what it is, huh? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that, you know, my clothes, they, they eventually wear out, right? But, but the, the new clothing that we will have one day, our, our new bodies, they will never decay. They'll never be holes. They'll never wear out. And it's just so cool, the way that Paul here presents something that we need to always be thinking of. I love the way he expresses the truth there in verse 4. Notice again, For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, and here it is, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I love that. The Greek word translated mortality, it means to be liable to death. You know, theologians tell us that not only does this describe the end of these mortal bodies, that they will die physically, but it also describes the makeup of this body, which is what? Laden with sin. Paul calls it a body of death. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24. And so, one day these sinful bodies will be broken down, but that's okay because on that day, on that day we die, so to speak, death dies in one sense. I know it sounds funny, but mortality will be swallowed up by life. And that is a huge statement. You know, to swallow something is a lot different than putting something in your mouth or chewing on it for a while. To swallow something means it's down. It means it's done. It means it's gone. That, this is what God is saying about death for the Christian. It will be swallowed up by life. And it's just so beautiful. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, sheds light on this. If you would, maybe mark right here and go back just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This chapter is all about the resurrection, the resurrected body. And look what it says beginning in verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, that's heavenly bodies, or terrestrial bodies, that's earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. You know, and again, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. Some will tell you, well, it's not going to be a lot different because they'll say that when Jesus rose, you know, he was able to to mix in and maybe we're going to have a body kind of like Jesus, you know, but... You know, we don't know for sure. All I know is it's going to be different. It really is. It's going to be celestial. It's going to be amazing. You know, our heavenly bodies will be different. Just as a seed is different than, you know, the fruit that comes from that seed, right? You look at a little seed and you're like, well, that's not much. Um, But that's kind of like our bodies. You know, one sense, you know, when we die and we go into the ground, so to speak, it's like Jesus said in John twelve, unless a grain of uh, unless that seed dies, you know you won't see the fruit of it, and one day when we die, it's the same thing. You know, I have a couple of pictures I want to show you. I think that they're ready. The first one is just of some seeds, uh, if we have it. Now you look at the seeds and you're like, well, they're not much that that's kind of like who we are. I mean right now, not much, you know. I mean, there's still a glory of the terrestrial body. There's still something amazing about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But, but whatever you do, don't think, well, that's it, man. I mean, it's just so much better because you look at the seeds and it's not much. But I don't know if you guys know what kind of seeds these are. No, you guys probably don't know, huh? The next picture will tell us. There's a ne- the next one. This is what they end up as. How many of you ladies would like those? Yeah, I could take a dozen of those. Huh? Beautiful, beautiful. They're they're beautiful in color. They're beautiful in glory. They're beautiful in the way they smell. But you would have never known it based on on the seed, right? I mean, there's going to be a, a transformation. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the next picture, and you've seen the one of these things. You know, caterpillar. Now, this is actually a good-looking caterpillar. To be honest with you, it has color to it. And and to me, anything that God makes is is beautiful and fascinating. But you got to admit that caterpillar isn't much. He can't really travel fast. He can't go far. And uh, he's just like a sitting duck, you know, for the birds that want to have you know, have him for lunch, you know. But but you guys know what happens, right? When that, that caterpillar, uh, in time, it, it forms a cocoon. And what's next? It's a beautiful butterfly. It's a fly. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, these are the principles. These are the things that we, that we get to think about. That's all I'm saying. We don't know all the details. But my prayer is that God will take this text that we're learning and really change our life with the understanding that this is not our home. That we are, we are one day we'll be home. We groan for it. We long for it. We look forward to it. The whole world, all these people on this planet, they're lost. Would God use our life to find them and lead them home too? You know, here in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, later on, he gives a couple of cool verses. In verse 53, he says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You know, one day we're going to be there. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Maybe you have loved ones that have passed on and it just, it can devastate us. Sometimes people get handicapped by that. They never recover because their their loved one has passed on and gone to heaven. Oh, don't let that handicap you. Be, Be joyful for them. You know, in looking at these things, I think it's so important for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 15, it comes from Isaiah twenty-five eight. The Bible says that he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he shall, I like this, take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. know, I can't wait for heaven. I can't wait for mortality to be swallowed up by life. And I tell you what, I tell you what, I have a feeling that that we will do a lot more growing if we do a lot more groaning for heaven, because heaven is where we belong. Heaven is our home, and we should be looking for it and longing for it. And so, you know, back in Second Corinthians, someone might ask, "Well, Manny, are you sure about that? Are you like a hundred percent sure? I mean, how do you know God is going to pay up and raise us up like that?" And the simple answer is I'm sure because God has given us his guarantee by giving us his holy spirit. Notice back in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, it says now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Now we have God's guarantee by the spirit of God within. You know, we're going to come back to that and elaborate on it. But before we get there, notice there again in verse 5, did you notice the preparation that's taking place? Look at verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. You know, I don't know if everyone here is saved or not. You know, if you are if you don't know the Lord, you got to know this, that if we repent of our sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, that we're you know, going to get into heaven. We get to get into heaven. But in one sense, as God works on us and we yield to Him, working oftentimes through the tears and trials and tribulations, we're not going to just get in, we're going to fit in to heaven. I mean, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you've been somewhere and you almost feel like you don't fit in? You know, I pray that you would know that when you go to heaven one day, man, you you do. I pray that that would be something that you're ready for. You know, one person said heaven is a place prepared for those who are prepared for it. You know, maybe that will encourage some of you today who are going through trials. You're going through hard times. You're going through difficulties. I have a feeling that God is preparing you for heaven so that you'll fit in. And I read a story about a man in the middle of many tough trials who took a walk in his neighborhood and he saw a construction crew working on a big church and he just kind of stood there and watched a stone craftsman work a long time on a block but couldn't see where the block would fit because the church looked like it was finished. And so, you know, he watched the man work on the block carefully and methodically and slowly and precisely. And so finally, he asked the man, why are you spending so much time chipping and shaping that block? And then the craftsman, he pointed up to the top of the nearly complete steeple. And he said, I'm shaping it down here so it'll fit in up there. And the man in the middle of all those trials instantly knew that that was God's message to him. That he was being prepared down here so that he could fit in up there. God's working on us. All of this is guaranteed by God. Point number one, heaven knowing about it. We don't just hope or think, we know. Point number two, heaven groaning for it. You know, I want to be there one day. That's my home. I long for it. Point number three is heaven guaranteed of it. You know, how do we know? How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know that's your home and your future and your final destination? And the answer is because we have the down payment, so to speak. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Let me ask you a question today Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Okay. If you don't know, and someone says, Well, I'm not sure, I don't know. Let me ask you another question. How can someone live inside of you when you don't even know? Especially when that someone is God. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? You know, you'll know, first of all, by a changed life. You know, when someone gets saved, salvation is always followed by transformation. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, there will be a change. It is inevitable. That God will work a change. C.H. Burgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? If He does, there will be a change of behavior. And so many of you have changed, and you also have then the second witness, not just the outer change, But the inner change, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, spoken about in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Bible says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, and that's how we know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Those of you who are Christians, you know what I'm talking about, man. You know He's inside you. And He changes your life. You see, the Spirit of God is that guarantee from God that we have an everlasting home waiting for us in heaven. And so it's a guarantee. Just rest in Him. Abide in Him. Never stop trusting in Jesus. And don't worry. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that we have that place in paradise, a home in heaven. You know, there's just something about the concept, I don't know how how it sounds to you, guaranteed by God. You know, that sounds pretty powerful to me. It gives me peace. And God repeats this truth to make sure we know all about His guarantee. And we'll see it many times in the Bible. Um, in 2 Corinthians, just back a couple of chapters, if you go to chapter 1, look at verse 21. 2 Corinthians one twenty-one. it says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as guarantee. Um, Paul wrote in Ephesians one thirteen through 13-14, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption Of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And then over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, as Christians, we have our Savior's seal, we have our Master's, some even use the word mark. It's a confirmation of authentication, and it's not an it, it's a who. It's the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. You know, 1 Corinthians, it talks about how I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has for those who love him. See, the natural man, he has no clue. man. And for us, apart from God, we don't. But the Spirit then comes in And in one sense, He gives us little tidbits. It's almost like a little taste of heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. You know, others use the translation of a wedding ring or an engagement ring. You know, the Lord says, in all simplicity, will you marry me? And if you say yes, then He puts the the engagement ring on your finger, right? One day we're going to be there and we're going to have that marriage supper of the Lamb. And others use the word down payment, you know, uh, where God put the money down. Question, do you think he's going to pay up? Absolutely. Absolutely. See? And that's so cool, reading about heaven, knowing about it, groaning for it, guaranteed of it. And then the last thing is this, confident because of it. Look at verse 6. It says, So we are always confident Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, knowing these things, you know, just knowing about heaven, um, it really should bring confidence to the Christian as it did to Paul, who mentions that confidence twice in this section, even saying, notice there again in verse 6, how how frequently is he confident? Always. We are always confident, right? I mean, it's just so cool. You know, um, again, going back to what he knows, he says right here, knowing this, that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Uh, The Greek word, Translated confidence, it means to be bold, it means to be courageous. And and that's the way we should be living life as Christians. Knowing about heaven, knowing these truths of the scriptures, we should be confident, we should be bold, we should be courageous, we should be serving the Lord. I'm not afraid to die, I'm not afraid to suffer. What I am afraid of is finding myself outside of the will of God. The only thing I fear is God himself. I don't want to live a life of sin. I want to grow. I want to be a godly. That's what I fear. I fear falling out of the will of God. As Christians, knowing the Word, we walk with confidence. And that's the way we should be walking. You see, when life gets hard, the problems, the pain, the sickness, the suffering, the sin, you know, we might be tempted to to give in, to give up, to panic, to... You know, find ourselves maybe paralyzed with fear because we get this misconception that since we're Christians now, that life is supposed to be like super smooth sailing, right? Sometimes we get that concept, and then you know we're taught this and we're reminded of this that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. I remember one time a, a couple of young people they were doing like a Q and A with Pastor Raw. And they asked him, well, I'm a Christian. I, I'm serving the Lord. I love the Lord. You know, why is it that you know, life is so hard? And I, Pastor Rawls Zamster was so simple. He says, because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And so when things happen, and you know, whatever the case may be, I don't lose my confidence because I know, well, I'm not, I'm not home yet, you see? We still live in a fallen world with fallen angels called demons fighting us every day. We live in fallen bodies. We still live in this body of death. So in one sense we're in one sense we're absent from the Lord in his fullness. I mean, he's present with us here, but we're not completely present with him there yet. We're not there yet. When we're there, we're going to see him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we'll see God. The Bible says in Job 19, 26 and Matthew 5, 8. But until then, we walk by faith, it says in verse 7, and not by sight. Until then, we see with the eyes of our heart and not the eyes of our head. Until then, we walk in the power of God's word, in the path of God's word. This is how we see. That's why it's so important to study the Bible. That's why it's so important to know the Bible. That's why it's so important that churches, pastors, they teach the Bible. Because this is how we see. This is how we walk by faith, by understanding the Scriptures. You know, uh, remember after Jesus rose, uh, they told Thomas. You guys remember, uh, we've seen the risen Lord, they told Thomas. We've seen the risen Lord. And remember what Thomas said? He said, man, I'm not going to believe until I see him, until I put my fingers in the wounds of his hands and feet inside. I'm not going to believe until I see, right? And then, if you remember what happened by the grace of God, Jesus appeared to Thomas, but probably only appeared to him to give us a message. And this is what he said in John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. I've never seen his wounds, but I believe in his wounds and I believe in his cross and I believe in my Lord because we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, that's us. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8, it talks about how we've never seen Jesus, but we love Jesus. It's not physical. It's spiritual. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by feelings. We walk guided by our convictions of the Word and not by the emotions of our fallen bodies. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our walk is our journey in life. It's the direction of our life. In one sense, our walk is kind of like the summary of our life. It's therefore important to walk. It's important to know how to walk. And the simple answer is we walk by faith. One foot in front of the other and keeping both eyes on Jesus, studying the Word of God so that He would lead us in His ways. It might sound like an oxymoron, but by faith we see the invisible By faith in time we actually touch the eternal. It's amazing. You know, one thing I've experienced is that life on earth has its reward. Huh? Have you guys noticed that? That as Christians, it's pretty cool. You know, when you're when your marriage is Christ centered, you know, it's 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 awesome. You know, when you're Relationship with your children is just something that you bathe in prayer. It's so cool. And just the different ways that God you know, gives you purpose in life. I've seen that life on earth as a Christian has this reward. And we see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But at the end of the day, I can really say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. We look forward to heaven. I, I would much rather, in all honesty, be absent from this body and be present with the Lord. I guess you could say I'm sick. I'm homesick, okay? <laughs> That's where I belong. Again, don't get me wrong. I don't have a death wish or want to commit suicide. I I want to make sure I finish my race and all the responsibilities God has given to me on this side of time. But I think any healthy Christian would echo the words Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, where he said, you know what? Um, I'd rather go to heaven, to be honest with you. I'd rather depart and be with the Lord. That's far better. But apparently in God's eyes, it's better or more needful that I stay here and minister to you. But one day, we'll be done. And one day, we'll be home. You see, as Christians, we know there's work to do for the benefit of others. Our life is really summed up in a labor for the Lord until then we're invincible right remember they tried to kill jesus many times and the bible says it wasn't his day yet it wasn't his hour yet until then we're invincible but then when we're done it's going to be it's going to be amazing it's going to be super fun and so i don't know a lot of things happen in a study like this so one thing i pray that would happen is you won't be afraid to die you know uh, they say that number one fear believe it or not is public speaking? I couldn't believe that. And then the second fear is the fear of dying. I thought that was weird. But anyways, um, I wonder if there's anybody here that you're afraid to die. Or one day you go to the doctors and he tells you you have cancer or something. You know? Um, I don't know. I don't know what type of response that that people will will get in those days. But for us as Christians. When that day, or if that day happens, let this truth um, flood your heart and fill your heart with joy. I mean, of course, we know God can heal us of cancer, and the nowadays there's medic- medication and there's you know doctors, and you know we fight, you know, for those types of things, and God is still working on us. But if this is the one, if this is now the road that's that's going to take me home. Praise God. That's what I was made for. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. Well, some say, well, what if you suffer? What if it hurts? What if it's this, you know, you, you, and you're not, uh, you know what? You don't have to be afraid of that either. Because, you know, like you're going to learn in the VBS, they're going to learn that Yea, though you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because He's going to be there with me through the whole thing. You know, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would rather die in my sleep, you know, one day, and it's just kind of over, you know. But, I mean, it would be better like to do a 20-minute flight than a 20-hour flight, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. But if you're in that place and it's a long, you know, battle, God's working in you, but primarily God's working through you and He's just working in your loved ones. All I'm saying is that we can face these things with an understanding. What's the worst thing that can happen to us? We get to go home. I don't know how you feel about dying. I I think it was Woody Allen who said, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. I want to be there man. I want to be there. That's why when they offered Jesus the 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 alcohol to, to numb his senses, he said no way. I want my full faculties all the way through this. You know, and we should have that same heart. You know, the majority of the world is afraid to die. They don't have confidence. Why? Because they don't have Christ. Paul wasn't afraid to die because he was going to heaven. And Jesus wasn't afraid to die. Why? Because he was paving the way to heaven. Here's the thing in closing, you guys. You just want to make sure that you're going to heaven. You now, one guy said this, He that will enter paradise must come with the right key. Another Jewish proverb says, One path leads to heaven, but a thousand lead to hell. So what do we need to do? While to get to heaven, you need to turn right, and you need to stay straight. To get to heaven, you need to turn from your sins. You need to repent of your sins. And you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You know, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to make it out tonight. I understand. You know, there's a lot of responsibilities and things that we have, but if you can um, make it out, I thought it was neat to to be able to show this Louis Zamperini testimony in light of Memorial Day, um, because he was such a a valiant soldier. Um, you might even want to invite you know friends or loved ones that want to celebrate Memorial Day appropriately. But here's a a real war hero. But here's the thing, when you you guys see the testimony of his life, it is just absolutely, totally miraculous. How many times he should have died and he didn't die. I mean, you know, the Japanese planes, you know, shooting at this little raft in the water for 30 minutes. You know, uh, 67 holes in the raft, they didn't get hit. I mean, rafting in the middle of, you know, what, at 20 million square miles of water for 47 days. And he doesn't die. Going to the execution camp, but not being executed. And, you know, I mean, it's just an amazing story of his life and the life that God gave to him. You know, after the war was over, understandably so, you can imagine being confined to these, you know, small quarters over the years and being tortured the way he was. He came home and he had, a, what's it called, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, he just was drinking. He had a beautiful wife, but man, he didn't have a life. You know, one night he woke up because he had these dreams. And, uh, and he just woke up one night, he was just strangling his wife because he thought he was in the war still. And, and really, there was no direction. His wife one day says, I'm going to divorce you. But what had happened was there was a, a, a young evangelist who came to town. His name was Billy Graham. And they did this, uh, this you know, revival, evangelistic crusade, and she went. And she got saved. And then what happened is she came home and she told him, I'm not going to divorce you. He says, "But I want you to come to the crusade with me. And so he went to the crusade with her, and the first day he didn't like it. He's like, who is this guy telling me that I'm a sinner? I already know I'm a sinner. I don't need anybody to tell me. Hey, I'm not going back. But by God's grace, he went back the second day, and this is what happened. Again, not really interested in what Billy Graham was saying, but Billy Graham, he said something that finally caught his eye. He said, you know, um, a lot of you here, you're, you're suffering in your marriage because you, you need Christ. And he said, many of you here, you were in that spot where, you know, you said to God, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. And he remembered back to those days when he was in the raft for 47 days in the middle of the ocean. He said, morning, noon, and night. They prayed the whole time saying, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. And then he realized God kept his Promise I didn't keep mine. And that day, Louis Zamperini, he repented of his sins and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. The amazing thing is this, and I'm not sure how many years, I want to say 49 years, but it was a number of years where he had these dreams, uh, nightmares from the war, and the day he got saved, never had him again. Never again. You see, that's what happens when you give your life to Christ. Everything changes. And so, you know, a thousand roads to hell, one road to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. Have you given your life to Him? If you haven't, I pray that today you would accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank You so much. One day we'll be home. I was lost and you found me. One day I'll be home. Help us, Lord, to have a burden for the lost. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to find them and to lead them home. And even today, Lord, as we're praying for any here that don't know you, Lord, May you work in their hearts. I pray not only would seeds be planted and watered, but maybe even a harvest, Lord. Only you can give the increase. Only you can save a soul. And Father, I pray that you would. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-34 Remember that Jesus loves you.